Have you ever wondered how deep tech companies actually start? Well, we were too. So in this podcast, we'll be interviewing scientists and entrepreneurs that have taken their ideas out of the lab and turned them into startups. I'm Antonia. And I'm Christina. And this is Startup the Science. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Startup the Science. Today, we have an expert episode for you featuring Dr. Tonino Greco. He's the chief analyst and a technology scout for Sony here in Berlin. We know Tonino through many of our activities. He's been a mentor at all of our accelerator programs, and he's a great one at that. Uh, Most recently, he just joined the board of Enum, so that's also very exciting. As Tonino explains in the episode, he comes from a very technical background, and I've heard someone call him the grandfather of quantum dots. I'm really not sure what that means, but I think it was a compliment. And I'm sure that that's what makes him a great tech scout and an amazing mentor. But anyways, in this episode, Tonino talks about his job as a tech scout. And if you've ever wondered, or if you were curious about what goes through the mind of a tech scout when he's searching for new technologies, this is the episode for you. Tonino walks us through some of his processes and even talks about what he's specifically looking for in a startup team. And before I say too much and spoil the entire episode for you, here is Antonio speaking with Dr. Tonino Greco. Enjoy. Hi, Tonino, and welcome to our podcast. Hello. It's very nice to have you with us today, and thank you for for taking the time. So let's start off, as we usually do on this podcast, with an introduction. Can you tell us a bit about uh, who you are and what you are doing right now in your role at Sony? Yes, uh, thank you first uh, very much for having me. So my name is Tonino. I work for the Sony Corporation since uh, three and a half years. And in a nutshell, I'm a technology scout. That uh, means um, I search for new technologies and uh, new startups in uh, many different fields, um, which might be interesting for Sony and which have complementary technology, which we do not have in-house. And how does a a day in the life of a technology scout look like? Where do you scout for these new ideas and technologies? Oh, there are many different ways. So um, let's say the the most conventional one is online search. But usually we travel a lot, mainly two to three weeks a month. So we go to conferences, fairs startup competitions, we visit universities, um, research institutes, um, accelerators. So there's um, a whole bunch of possibilities to to search for new ideas. And yeah, so this is how we collect those ideas, uh, filter them, and then um, yeah, try to approach the, the best and the, the most interesting one. So it's very interesting for us to understand how that process works, because we work with a lot of startups, as you know, since you work with us very closely, Startups in Advanced Materials. And for many of them, getting a partnership with a company as large as Sony could mean the difference between surviving another month, another year, or not surviving at all. So it's very important for for our startups to understand how those partnerships could develop. Can you tell us a bit about the criteria you use when deciding to select a startup for a potential partnership with Sony? So, first of all, when you get to know a startup which has um, an interesting technology, the first thing you do is uh, you you meet somehow or chat and try to find out what exactly the technology is about and um, how the team is, actually. And um, once you've done that, you have to compare it also with, you know, alternatives, existing technologies. And if it turns out that it might be something unique, 
then we usually check, oh, do we already have something similar in our company? And if not, might that be of interest? And so we get very close and detailed feedback from our colleagues in Japan, from uh, corporate R&D or from the business units. So we discuss very intensively with them technical details, but also how um, a business model could look like if, let's say, technology or the business approach is something completely different we are used to. So we are in a very close um, communication with our colleagues in Japan. So And we try to find out, okay, is that interesting or not? And if um, the Japanese colleagues are interested. So we then um, go deeper into the discussion because usually you have a lot of um, detailed questions which we try to answer. So our role is also a little bit to be the link and the translator between the startups and um, colleagues in, uh, in Japan, not only from a, let's say, organization point of view, but also from a cultural point of view. And, and uh, yeah, language barrier sometimes also plays a role. So to, uh, to sum up, or for, for me to better understand, you're, you pay attention to the team, obviously to the technology that the startup has, whether there are already other alternatives out there that might be, might be better or whether this technology is quite unique. And of course, if there's a match between what Sony needs and what the, the startup can provide. Now, if we were to take this criteria a little bit more, uh, if we were to look at, at each of them a little bit more in detail, what do you look for in, in the team? First of all, usually, so since I mainly look into to startups and technologies from a hard, uh, hardware point of view, it is very important where the team comes from. So usually such kind of startups are spun out of universities and research institutes. So they don't appear out of nowhere. So track record is the buzzword. So what did the team members do before? Where do they come from? What um, research have they done before? And it is also important for us, how is the composition of the team? So we've experienced in the past that very often the teams are all scientists or all engineers. And then when the business model is plays a, a major role, depending on the maturity of the startups, we have to ensure that there is also someone in the team who takes care of it. But of course, we cannot influence uh, that directly. So we try to give advice, we try to sustain in that field and uh, maybe um, yeah, to connect to other persons or individuals who might help them um, to improve um, in, in, yeah, in that field. So is it enough for you if, let's say, you have a very early stage startup with a couple of scientists, maybe two, three scientists on the team, but no business developers or nobody with a commercial background, but they have advisors on board? Or would you advise early stage startups to have um, someone in their team, even if they're very early stage, someone in their team purely focused on the business model? This really depends since early stage startups don't even have a product. Um, so very often real business development is actually not necessary. So a good advisory board is um, good enough. And when it comes then to product launch or let's say um, yeah, to, to really enter a market, then um, probably um, a business developer or a designated person doing business development is, um, is necessary. But um, in very early startups, 
uh, early stage startups, this might be not a crucial point. It's more developing, co-developing the technology further so that it might reach a mass production um, maturity. But this takes a long time and we are fully aware of that. So this is why we really try to help the startups to develop their technology or their product further. And also, of course, um, to you know, adjust it to somehow our needs if we have a joint development agreement. Yeah. Okay, so the team is, is very important, of course, and whether or not they have a business developer on board from the start is maybe secondary, but the technology, I'd imagine, comes first. Can you share a bit with us um, some of your own ways in which you evaluate the technology? How do you know? Um, or first of all, what types of technologies are you looking at and how do you evaluate that? We actually look at a, a huge variety of technologies. So, um, as you may know, Sony has um, a lot of products. And so I mainly take care of everything which is related to materials, uh, display devices and also uh, sensing devices. So that means um, everything which comes out of semiconductor development, um, display uh, technologies, uh, materials for those display technologies. Yeah, so how you evaluate that is, of course, you have to compare it to state-of-the-art technology. You have to have a deep knowledge about the science behind it, what's going on. And in the end, um, a very simple way to prove it is by proof of concept, uh, a POC. So where we could test and evaluate certain performance um, data, for instance, in collaboration with our own labs. So we cannot necessarily rely on, uh, let's say, the information provided by the startup. So we have to countercheck that. So and this is very often how it works. So we get some samples and colleagues from our labs evaluate them and um, give us feedback if or whether the, the performances claimed by the startups um, could be confirmed or not. And once they're confirmed, uh, this is a very happy situation then, of course. Um, we move them further because very often it's not, let's say, ready to be put on the market. But uh, this is um, the exciting part also because um, this is also where you can get surprised. Sometimes um, the performance is even better than expected. And very often during the, let's say, discussion in the relationship with the startups, new ideas come up, new opportunities arise so that we, you know, think further, or maybe um, we introduce the technology to other business units where we haven't thought of it in the beginning. Okay, so the process roughly goes like this. You meet a startup at an event, at an accelerator, or maybe you find them online, however it is. You then meet them, you get to know the team, they tell you about their technology and the, the claims they have of how their technology performs. And if you think that they have something strong there, you then uh, ask them for samples, which are then sent to Japan, right? Or to different labs that Sony has for testing. And if these look promising, then a potential joint development agreement can, can come out of that. Did I sum that up well enough? Yes, pretty well. You have many iteration cycles, uh, how that works. So very often um, it's not done with one testing and it's not done with a few emails or some few meetings. This goes on and on and on. Yeah, very often you have to, the relation 
develops within uh, six months or a year or even further. So because the startups de uh, develop further and yeah, we test from time to time even more and more. So the, the projects get larger and larger. And um, when everything goes well, a joint development agreement, um, this is you know, the ultimate goal, of course. So this is a very good point, I think, to stress that a lot of startups might have um, different expectations that if they just send their samples and their samples look good, then something should happen within the next few weeks or months. So it's a good thing to, to emphasize that this might be a relationship that needs to be built up over time and that a project might not come up the first month, but that's why they need to maintain this relationship longer. Um, one thing that I also wanted to ask you about, so you mentioned that one of the, the key things in finding the right technologies and evaluating them is having deep knowledge in this field. So as someone who does a lot of tech scouting now for, for quite a few years, what would you say is important uh, or what, what type of experience is important to have? I know that you have a background in research. Is it necessary for people working in tech scouting to be experts in their field or what, what's your view on that? Is it necessary, for example, to come from academia or from research and then transition into industry or what's, what's your view on that? Yes, indeed. Um, I think it's uh, very crucial to, to have an engineering or scientific background if you have to evaluate startups in a technical field. So if you have to do the technical due diligence, then of course it's mandatory that um, you come from, from science or engineering. Of course, no one expects that you are an expert in, in, in any field, um, So, but you have to have a, a dedicated expert expertise. And it's not like as an engineer or as a scientist, that you just learn one specific field and then that's it. Of course, you have to be open-minded uh, uh, for um, for many fields and usually this is not the problem. So if you're curious, you learn a lot about uh, new fields, of course, and also in exchange with your colleagues who have a completely different uh, expertise field. So this is a very exciting um, situation, uh, of course. So the I'm still learning a lot about many other uh, Technologies and many other scientific fields. But yeah, to put it in a nutshell, yes, I think to do real tech scouting, you have to have a scientific or technological um, education. And I'm sure that adds a lot of a lot more value to the technology evaluation that you do. Can you tell us a bit about uh, your experience prior to joining Sony? What, where else have you worked before? And um, from, from what I know, you were also part of Fraunhofer for many years. How was the transition from, from research to industry and what have you gained by, by moving into the corporate world? Before I started working at Sony, I was at LG Electronics. And before that, um, as you said, I worked for 10 years at Fraunhofer, uh, at the Fraunhofer Institute for Applied Polymer Research. So coming back to your question, so the transition from academia to industry was for me, luckily, quite easy since Fraunhofer is dedicated to do research which is applicable for industry. So in an ideal case, the Fraunhofer Institutes provide technology and then research for German industry, but not, also, not, not only for the German, but yeah, worldwide. There, the transition was um, rather natural, but um, of course, coming directly from the university, um, sometimes it is difficult to transition since um, research at universities, uh, fundamental research at universities is somehow decoupled from real life um, applications and, and restrictions and boundaries. But in the end, 
the only thing you can do is to be open and to learn about what is actually needed in industry, um, what is um, what is research in industry. So that once you've done that, you realize quite soon how useful um, the things you do are or not. So for me, I was in a lucky position. So this transition uh, was um, very smooth. So yeah. And this is a similar transition, I suppose, to to what some of our startup founders are experiencing, um, referring mainly to the university spin-offs. As you work with so many different startups, some of them coming from a university background, some of them not, what would be your advice for startup founders that are um, right now trying to figure out whether they should leave the academic world and start a company and trying to, to make that transition? So if the startup founders are really convinced about their idea, the first thing I would do is to reach out to someone who does not come from their specific scientific field. Because very often people tend to have a kind of tunnel view. So they think, oh, this is the most amazing thing uh, in the world. And um, sometimes they just forget to to reach out to, to the world and to double check with people who might not be from that field. So the first thing I would do is just to reach out to experts um, in the industry or in, in other scientific, in the scientific community. And once the idea still seems to be valid and, and valuable, then do it. Found your startup, startup take the risk. And um, yeah, it could, be, it could be an exciting time, even if, let's say, the startup doesn't work in, a, uh, in the first stage or immediately. But I think that's a very um, exciting and valuable experience uh, you can have. Unless, of course, you really want to stay in academia and you want to become a professor, then that might be not the right approach to do. And does that happen to you a lot? Do you get a lot of startups reaching out to you for advice, wondering if they should even be a startup or what their future might look like, in your opinion? Yes, sometimes I, uh, I do get that more from a personal or a personal professional network. So PhD students uh, reaching out with an idea and asking for um, you know, the opinion. What do you think about that? Uh, could that work? Or is there actually a, a need in industry? What do you think? And uh, yeah, this happens um, sometimes. And um, I'm very happy to, to help there and, and to give uh, my opinions and ideas about that. And I'm also happy to connect to other experts if I cannot judge that appropriately. So um, I really enforce people to reach out to experts in, in, in industry. And yeah, so please call me, write me. And we know that you're also a very valuable mentor during our accelerator program and probably one of the mentors that gives the most honest, direct feedback, which is what our startups need. So that's great. And finally, to, to wrap it up, I'm curious to know if you could share that with us. Are there any startups that you've encountered over the last couple of years that were really pleasant surprises that you've seen grow and that uh, maybe you even supported along the way that you'd like to mention? Oh, yes. Um, so during the last three to four years, um, during I've engaged with Inam Network and also during the Atpacom events. Uh, I've met a lot of very good um, startups uh, where we are still in contact and uh, with some we have uh, running projects. I cannot tell the exact names, but there are um, three to four startups where we engaged with. And yeah, I'm very happy um, to say that quality out of the Enam network is um, surprisingly high because we've experienced in other um, accelerator programs. If you're lucky, one out of 10 is a good startup. But Enam, um, three to four out of 10 are really good, uh, really interesting for us. So please continue. Let's see if we can raise that bar and make it uh, six out of 10 or so next time. 
All right. Thank you so much for your time. I just have one final question, which is more something that I'm curious about. What is your favorite part of your job? It sounds like a very exciting job where you meet a lot of interesting startups, interesting people, cool technologies. What's your favorite part of being a tech scout? Indeed, my favorite part of being a tech scout is to meet so many different people, especially meeting founders who are really excited about their technology and uh, where you almost get infected by their passion. So if infected is the right word in, the, in these days. But um, yeah, to see that um, passion, that uh, engagement, that soul in, in, in their own work, this is a very exciting um, situation and, and thing to see. That's uh, certainly what makes us very excited about working with startups in Inam as well. Thank you so much for, for your time today. Is there anything else that you would like to add? Any final words of wisdom for startups? listening or for anybody else listening to the podcast dear startups please continue working move on these times will be over soon and uh, yeah please uh, reach out and um, i hope that uh, you will succeed thank you very much thank you thank you for having me thanks for listening to startup the science if you like our show and want to know more about what we do check out our website at enam.berlin and don't forget to leave us a review until next time 